listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about what's happening in the world today and where the world is going, and we're not afraid to take a kind of a contrarian view to wit. If you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio studio is my co-host, co-blogger, and co-futurist, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? I'm super fantastic. How are you, Stephen? Well, a little bit bummed. I had tried to alter our front bumper music. Um, it was it had happy birthday, and then it went into our normal little can thing, and uh, and obviously it didn't do that. So I, somehow, I, somehow I messed that up. Uh, but oh, anyway, well, happy, been... happy birthday, Phil. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, very nice of you. Very nice to, you know, it's the thought that counts. Uh, and uh, I'll always remember that bumper music as having happy birthday at the beginning. Nice of you to remember <laughs> my birthday, actually. Uh, this, is, this is actually an auspicious day. You know, uh, August 31st is, uh, in, in addition to being my birthday, um, our, our, our buddy Harvey uh, wrote to let me know that this is also Queen Rania of Jordan's birthday. Awesome, awesome. I, I think she's probably younger than me, is my guess. And in addition to that, uh, this is uh, Merdeka Day. This is Malaysian Independence Day, the anniversary of the day that the British government uh, departed and turned control of, of Malaysia over to the uh, Malaysian authorities, and it became its own its own country. So to any Malaysians who are listening, that, I would, that, that was 51 years ago. They had the big 50th anniversary last year, so if we'd been doing wow. Uh, fast forward radio every week last year we would have caught the big the big five oh but the big five one's pretty exciting too so i want to say to uh, any malaysian friends listening uh, salamat hari merdeka malaysia bole i'm impressed that's uh, you know basically happy uh, merdeka day malaysia can go, can go or malaysia can do it is uh, is uh, well of course the i need that there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No translation necessary, of course. Yeah, that's right. We've also got on the line our uh, chat host for the week once again joining us, Michael Sargent. Hello, Michael. Evening, gentlemen. How are you? How are you doing? Doing well. Good. All Good. right. Well, we're eager to see what kind of uh, action we're going to have in the chat room tonight. Uh, based on the fact that it's a holiday weekend, it might get real busy or it might be uh, kind of slow. We were talking right before the program began. If it slows down, Michael, you just get in an argument with yourself, okay? I don't think I'll have to do that. Uh, we've no. got <laughs> you got some people? Two audience members at That's this good. point. That's right. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, you you'll definitely have to keep me posted. I uh, I'm in Arkansas, away from the internet. I'm just calling in from a phone, and so I have no idea what's what's happening in the chat room. So you have to make sure to let us know. This is this is interesting. I uh, you know you are almost completely off the grid here, aren't you? Um, yeah. Your your mobile phone doesn't work. Is that right? And that's right. And, you're, and you got no internet. That's right. I'm in the woods. It's so deep that the cell phone is not working. There's not. I mean, you, I look at the here to see if I've got a bar. No, no bars, um, and no and no internet at all. And uh, I, I, I let, I'll let you know where I am. Uh, Murfreesboro, Arkansas, is uh, is the name of the town, and uh, this is the only place in the United States where diamonds can be found. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, got a diamond mine here. It was. Uh, they thought about commercializing it and uh, having 
you know, commercial diamond production here, and uh, just never did it. And um, and back during World War II, it was going to be a, an important source of diamonds uh, since Africa was sort of cut off to us for a time. Right. Uh, but uh, it, you know, basically now it is a state park, and you can come pay pay a small fee and go out and hunt for diamonds. And small diamonds are found every day, and uh, big diamonds are found periodically. One of the big wow. ones. Yeah, one of the big ones, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about uh, diamonds that you could just about retire on. They're so big. Hillary Clinton wore one of the big ones, too, uh, the inaugural balls with Bill Clinton, the star of Arkansas, I think is what she was wearing. But it's uh, um, it, it's it's kind of a neat deal. And uh, from time to time, I get out there and hunt just on the off chance I may get lucky. Isn't so that amazing? Have you boys out there yet? Oh yeah, they've had a. We have a good time when we go out there too. We try to do it on a day where the sun is not beating down too bad, uh, and uh, just take our shovels out there and and a, and a raw diamond. You have to know what you're looking for because it's not, you know, it doesn't look like it's ready to be set in the ring. It's different. It's uh, sort of a clear in stone. the rough. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely in the rough. Wow, diamonds in the rough is about a theme on this show. <laughs> no doubt. All that too appropriate. Yeah, that's, yeah, we should. That that should be a transition of some kind. I think. Well, good luck. You know, I would I would say since uh, since you noted that the the, the boys are going to be off school for a couple of days, I would I would get them up early and uh, you know have them out there all day looking. Is uh, you know it would would be my advice. Uh, you know. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> just you know that they can they like can the spend their time very productively. You know. Yeah, looking for big diamonds out there in Arkansas. So, Blow them down uh, now you're in Arkansas on vacation, but normally you're, of course, in Louisiana, and right. we wanted to get your perspective on um, the, uh, the very uh, serious conditions down in the Gulf Coast with uh, with Hurricane Gustav, and um, uh, how how are things looking uh, for your hometown? I guess probably Shreveport's going to be okay, but uh, what have you heard or, or uh, Grapevine or, or whatever about what's going on in New Orleans or elsewhere? Shreveport, of course, is in north Louisiana, and uh, it's going to be just fine. It's going to get a whole lot of rain in my hometown. Mm-hmm. But New Orleans could be in trouble. Um, uh, the Louisiana governor, uh, Bobby Jindal, has uh, evacuated the entire Louisiana coastline with you know millions of people, basically, and um, have have left. And that, and people after Katrina and 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 Rita um, hit Louisiana, uh, I think, three years ago now. Um, you know, after that experience, people listened and um, and got out. Uh, but the deal is, if the if the storm the storm hits just right or wrong, I guess uh, at, at the mouth of the Mississippi, it would push water into Lake Pontchartrain, and then basically swamp uh, New Orleans. And coming on the heels of Katrina like that, um, I, you know, it seems to me that if it were to happen that way, that it could be a psychological breaking point for the city and and New Orleans could end up being a much smaller city than it's been in the past, if if that's the case. So if you're a praying person in the audience, uh, pray for New Orleans. It it could be bad. But anyway, the good news I've heard uh, just in the last couple hours is that the storm is not expected to hit in the precise wrong way and that uh, the city probably is going to be able to weather this one. Uh, it, of course, they strengthened their levees and everything after Katrina, and so... We're expected to get through it, but you know, we're just got our fingers crossed. 
Yeah, well, and and we all do, uh, you know, kind of uh, bated breath here, uh, holding our breath, uh, hoping that uh, that the worst isn't isn't realized. Now, I was watching um, CNN just before um, coming up here to start setting up for the for the program this evening, and it looks like yeah, the projection now is that it will probably uh, the the landfall of the storm will not be right. Uh, at the mouth of the Mississippi right at New Orleans. It'll probably be a little bit west of there. And it seems like it's creeping uh, uh, further and further west of there as they, as they keep talking. So uh, also it has fallen from a Category 4 back to a 3, and uh, perhaps it'll continue to dissipate from there. We can we can only hope. Right. And, and since people have been so good to get out of there this time, the loss of life should be minimal. Um, and so, you know, let's, let's uh, as you said, hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, certainly it raises the issue um, of, uh, you know, what is the, if, if we were to spin this into a fast-forward radio discussion, what is the future of uh, dealing with the weather in, in this kind of way and, and dealing with, um, you know, we, you and I were talking earlier today about this, and to a certain extent there, there are analogies with uh, the technology that has been deployed in the Netherlands for hundreds of years with, you know, with the dikes uh, to, to keep Areas that were reclaimed from the sea that are at or below sea level from being uh, from being overwhelmed by the sea, and uh, they're they're looking now at, for the city of Venice to to find ways to use that kind of technology to keep it from what's happening there is it's just slowly sinking into the uh, uh, sinking into the water. So so the question is um, is is that kind of technology? Do you think? Uh, on the horizon for New Orleans is—is is that something that they, that they that they are or should or should be looking at? Do you think that the that the levees that the Corps of Engineers that they're working on will that be sufficient? Or what are your thoughts from a futures of New Orleans standpoint, technologically speaking? Well, starting with the with the distant past, uh, you know, the French Quarter was was all that there was to New Orleans in the beginning. Um, that's and they, and it was built on the highest ground that they had in that area, and it's above sea level. And um, the French Quarter uh, after Katrina was high and dry. It was an area, you know, and 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 because it was above sea level. And uh, I, in some ways, technology is part of the problem. We have the technology to, you know, to to build below the sea level at this point now, and that's what most of New Orleans is. It's below the sea level, and and if it were in the Netherlands, uh, where there's no hurricanes, you wouldn't have this problem. Uh, but periodically, you're going to get you're going to get a big hurricane come through, and uh, that's the danger of of New Orleans. And uh, you know, so what do you do? Uh, you know, I, I guess you build you build your uh, your levee system and, uh, and and pumps and everything else uh, bigger, stronger all the time. And uh, I, I think that there. They had gotten a little lax, perhaps before Katrina, and then after Katrina, they um, had begun to strengthen and, and, and raise and, and work on, on those systems. And uh, uh, I, it, my understanding was that they were nowhere near done uh, before you know this one comes along. So uh, right. hopefully, my understanding hopefully is we'll what weather this one and uh, and then have and, and have completed the work before the next big one hits. So right. Yeah, my understanding is what the Corps of Engineers is doing currently is scheduled to be done in about two years. Right. So, if uh, if the hurricane could have held off an, an extra couple of years, that would have been great. But of course, uh, they don't. Uh, you roll the dice every every hurricane season, you know. Yeah. And, absolutely. Uh, they, you know, for the last uh, 
uh, really, New Orleans has not been in danger the last few years uh, uh, from any of these storms. But here we go. We, we got a good, you know, uh, a big one, and uh, that's it's, you know sort, sort of took aim at, at New Orleans, and, and hopefully we'll miss it. And, uh, well, I wonder if there if there's also a, a comparison with Galveston, right, which was completely wiped out by a storm. What was that in right. the 1930s? Is that right? And then subsequently earlier than that, up. it was right at the turn of the uh, the century, uh, turn of the okay. 20th. It was right after that. But yeah, it it uh, thousands of people were killed, and and after that they built the uh, Galveston seawall, and uh, Galveston has never had, fortunately, I don't I don't know that any single disaster has killed more people than that uh, than that flood in Galveston. Yeah, that that was that was a that terrible was the big one. one. But the but the wall seems to have been effective since then. That's right. And and uh, I hope oh, actually I expect the Galveston that is above sea level though. I think that that's part of part of their secret is that uh, I, I don't think that it's necessarily that um, you know I, New Orleans is particularly uh, you know uh, built in a particularly dangerous way. Um, but that I mean that's what you have. That's the land that's that's the land that's available there. It's Absolutely. Slow. Yeah, it's a, the, ultimately, it, people have decided it's a nice place to live, and I think they will continue to live there. Let me tell you, let me tell you why I think that's the case. Um, I got to thinking about this after you and I talked about it this afternoon, and uh, there is a great short story by Doris Lessing, who uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature a couple of years ago. But uh, back in the day, she used to write science fiction, and uh, she she wrote a terrific story about a uh, the, the aliens come down. Uh, and make first contact with with humanity, and among other bits of uh, good information they have for us is they 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 come to the city of San Francisco and say, "Look, we've looked, and you're sitting on a huge fault. You people need to get out of here because there's going to be an earthquake, and it will kill you all." And of course, the people in San Francisco go, "Yeah, we know. We know there's a big <laughs> fault. <laughs> we know there's going to be a big earthquake, but we like it here, so so we continue to live here anyway." And it, you know, it ends with the aliens just kind of scratching their head. It's like, what? Why would people live someplace where they know that uh, bad things are going to happen? But it seems to be uh, part of human nature that uh, that we will occupy places that we want to, irrespective of of the risk involved. I think the other great example that comes to mind is uh, um, Naples, sitting yeah. right there at the foot of uh, Mount Vesuvius, you know, you go up the road if you want to and take a look at Pompeii. I mean, it's uh, you couldn't have a bigger, more dramatic warning that uh, if that volcano blows, you're you're hosed, right? But <laughs> what, what, what do you got? Two million people living in Naples anyway. So I think people will continue to live in these kinds of places, and our technology is therefore going to be driven to, to be better and better to deal with them. I, I don't know what we're going to do about a volcano. That's uh, that's a bigger problem, I think, even than. Uh, uh, than being a little below sea level and uh, and being hit by hurricanes, but uh, I think one way or another we'll uh, we'll we'll, conti- we'll continue to live in these places, and that will drive us to have better and better uh, technology to deal with it. No doubt. That's 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 my optimistic prediction on it. Well, this this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about various topics related to the future this evening. And if you'd like to join us, you can give us a call at three four seven two one five eight nine seven two or join our online chat. And I see that we actually have a caller, so I'm going to bring the caller on. Hello, caller. Hello, you there? Yes, we are. Hello, it's Pastor Pat. I wanted to call in. I've just enjoyed your show so much, I thought I'll call in. And you know what one of these things is? It's American stubbornness. When we put a city somewhere, we make it work no matter what. Las <laughs> Vegas is no, Las Vegas is one of the fastest growing cities in America. And it's in the middle of a desert. 
<laughs> New You're Orleans, absolutely right. That's a New good point. New Orleans is below sea level with Lake Pontchartrain above it, and it's in the path of hurricanes, but we just keep building dikes higher and higher. I mean, <laughs> we've got cities on fault lines. I mean, it's crazy, but as Americans, that's our home. We'll spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to make New Orleans work instead of abandoning it. You know, and there's no real logical reason for it. You had brought up, you know, Holland, but that's different. They had a land shortage, and they had to reclimate the land with windmills and things to get more livable space. And in, in like, um, Venice, you had mentioned Venice, that was a way for those people to live there, and they really couldn't be attacked because they only knew the way in and out. And Venice actually worked. They used to tear down the buildings and then build on top, and they kept going up, up, up. Then they got on this kick of preservation of these old buildings, and now they're sinking. They're going to have to spend billions and billions. But, you know, I think it's just American stubbornness. This is our home, and we're going to live here. You know, I mean, there's no I don't know if it's American stub- stubbornness or just the stubbornness of humanity. You know, oh, that's, yeah. just, well, this, that's just human nature, isn't it? You know, there's a Russian city up, in, up way up there in the Arctic that has, like, over a million people. And they figured it up, and they could put every citizen up in the finest hotel in Moscow year-round, cheaper than what it costs to have that many people living that far north. You know, <laughs> and it's just we're going to live here. You know, we're talking about going to Mars. We're going to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to step on a lifeless rock. You know. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned Mars, Pastor Pat, because I think that's exactly where this takes us. It's if we can if if, if we insist on living in environments that are. Uh, uh, so inhospitable, and you think about the settlements in Antarctica, right? I mean, that that oh, must sure. be uh, a, a tremendous uh, 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 expenditure devoted to, to keeping uh, keeping those up and running. But we're going to do it. We're going to have people living uh, in Antarctica, and eventually, I think we will uh, send people to Mars, and we'll have people living on Mars, and uh, it'll it'll be part of the same kind of drive to. Well, if we've decided we want to be someplace, that's where we're going to go, and that's well, where we're going to be. Well, let's say I take you back in time, 100, well, 200, 300, okay, let's go back in time 300 years, and I take you to the middle of the Valley of the Sun, right in the heart of downtown Phoenix, 300 years ago, and if I told you there's going to be a sprawling metropolis here of over a million people, how hard would you laugh? Right. You know, (laughs) uh, I think we probably, I'm almost positive we'll live on Antarctica because there's air and water, but the moon and Mars, I don't know, but... You know, it's going to be interesting, because I read a book by a fellow back in the 60s, and he said that even if we lifted 5,000 people a day off Earth to live somewhere else, you know, moon, Mars, orbit, take your pick, he said it wouldn't be enough to even dent the population problem. So I think it's interesting, but I don't think it's an answer. I mean, it was such an interesting book, and the guy never got any press, but... He's right, you know, 5,000 is a drop in the bucket, you know, and 5,000 a day is probably optimistic. Well, uh, 5,000 a day into space would be uh, a huge uh, engineering undertaking if we were... Right, which is probably not even possible, which wouldn't help our problem is my point. You know, overpopulation, we need to control the... um, we need to control how many kids we have because China implemented that and was very successful, and they had to lighten up on it because the reason their system works is overpopulation. If you have tons of people fighting for a job, they're willing to work for anything. If you have a very small group of people, they're not going to work for a small amount. You know, if there's well, 5,000 people who want one job, you can charge, you know. 
Sure. One of the interesting observations at the Olympic opening ceremony was they had how many people? 10,000 people participating in the show, and uh, you never had any performer repeated. And the actual official party line rationale literally was, yeah, it's not like we're going to run out of people to, uh, to put in the show, right? They, 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 I love that. They've, 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 got, they've got plenty of people to put, to put in the show. But I'll tell you, if, if, we, if we start talking population, we're going to stray a little far from our, from our topics this evening. That is something I'd like to get back to because one of the, uh, one of the trends that we're tracking is um, a, uh, a slowdown in the growth of population. Not that uh, not the population is slowing, but the growth rate is actually slowing. And it's, uh, it's, it gives, gives us cause to think that, that uh, in time, as technology develops, as uh, economies develop, that, that we might see uh, reflected elsewhere in the world um, what we've seen in Western Europe and uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in other parts of the developed world, which is that, that the population growth rate slows to the point that you get somewhere close to replacement. And then some, some developed uh, parts of the world, Japan in particular, it falls below that, and you actually start to see a, a population going down. But uh, but uh, again, I, I think uh, that that would be a, a topic for another day. Well, Pastor Pat, thank you very much. We appreciate your comments. Oh, uh, no, thanks for I listening. Your show. I wanted to call in. Oh yes, yes, you have a wonderful show. I love it, and I like well, how you go from topic to topic. It's fun. Well, thanks. Well, I think thank, if you stay on one topic too long, you just beat that old dead horse. This way, <laughs> you just whip a few ones, you know. All right. Well, you keep us honest in the chat room. If uh, if we start uh, if we start riding that horse too long, you let us know, okay? Uh, don't whip that dead horse. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pastor Pat. Well, that's that's about the best segue uh, to the next topic uh, that's possible, I think, uh, Phil. We just need to head on to the next thing, don't we? Okay, well, yeah, speaking of how we move from topics to topics, what we wanted to get into a little bit uh, next was to talk about uh, the kind of changing landscape in uh, as reflected in American politics. I wrote about this in the, in the latest edition of Better All the Time, which was published yesterday on The Speculist. Um, the fact that uh, come November 5th, uh, the U.S. will have elected either its first African-American president or its first woman vice president. One of those two things will happen. Um, and that is a sea change, isn't it? That, that is yeah. a, uh, a, a, a landmark development in American presidential politics, and I believe it reflects on uh, a the acceptance of um, uh, you know uh, of diversity in our society i think it it shows that tremendous progress has been made in that regard it doesn't say that all problems have been solved or that we now live in utopia but that uh, but that we've made some progress in that regard um phil do you have you seen the mo- uh, the pixar movie ratatouille i have yes I'm going to be very interested to see how you connect that to what I just said. Okay, well, that's the message of Ratatouille. Um, okay. A rat becomes a chef, and the and you know the this this rat's uh, hero, uh, chef. Oh, I, I can't remember the chef's name. Anyway, says that anyone can be a chef, and, and really the uh, movie goes on to show that well, maybe not everyone could be a chef or a president or a you know or an Olympic athlete or, or CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company, but that. You know, uh, a successful person can come from anywhere. Um, you know, may, you know, maybe a particular individual doesn't have it in them to become president of the United States. But you know, just but any person, whether they're a woman or, or a black person or uh, you know Asian or any person, has it in has uh, capacity for greatness. And uh, right. And that's you know that's the power of a meritocracy, and hopefully. 
you know, our, our, that's where our country, I think, strives to be, and and uh, and and at its best is is a meritocracy, and that's, um, you know, and and it's and it's a requirement for justice. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. has pointed that out. You know, but it's also a source of strength. Uh, if we're willing to accept excellence from whoever can deliver it, uh, then we're going to get excellence much more often, and uh, and that's uh, you know that's 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 a big deal, and uh, so I, yeah, and, and 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 I think that this particular election kind of points that out. That our I think so, is, I think so too. Well, yeah, yeah. I I stand uh, educated by you. You're absolutely right. That was the message of Ratatouille, and yeah, I missed it. Okay, I thought I was watching a cartoon about a brat who about wanted rat, to be a yeah. chef, but uh, you're you're <laughs> absolutely right. That that is the message of that movie. And uh, you mentioned uh, Dr. King. As a matter of fact, as we all know, um, when uh, Barack Obama gave his acceptance speech on Thursday evening, that was the 45th anniversary of the "I Have a Dream" speech. And I thought it would be only appropriate for us to listen to a little bit of that this evening in relation to this topic. So let's listen to Reverend Martin Luther King on the subject of I Have a Dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation 
into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom reign from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom reign from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom reign from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom reign from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom reign from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom reign from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about the future of diversity. And we've just listened to a fairly lengthy segment from the famous I Have a Dream speech by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So uh, what, do you, what do you make of that, Stephen? Uh, I, I couldn't help, as I was reading over uh, that quote uh, that I had published in The Better All the Time, that uh, here was a speculist, if you will. Here, here was a... Here was a man with a vision of the future, a very positive vision of the future that, uh, that, that he had to share. He had optimism. He, he felt that we have, though the country is flawed, and you know any, any human society is going to be, that the innate goodness of America could be called upon to, you know, to address this, this, this huge lapse in the American character, and, and it did. You know, uh, by calling on uh, the, you know the the better angels, I guess uh, of of uh, of our nature, he, you know he he got he he got the change that he was hoping for. It's just a shame he didn't get to live to see it. Well, uh, it, it is it is a shame. Although he he talks elsewhere about how he won't get to the mountaintop, but he can uh, he, he can describe it to others who who would live to see that day. And I know why he saw it, but he didn't, you know, he didn't live to see it, but he, he saw it in his mind's eye. He knew that it was possible. Exactly. And, uh, and, uh, and that, uh, you know, that's, that's wonderful. It takes visionaries like that, doesn't it, to, uh, to create the kind of uh, positive change that we're all hoping for. 
Absolutely. And in fact, that is the other secret meaning of live to see it, which is simply to, uh, to, to live uh, your life with that vision in front of you, irrespective of whether you live long enough to see it realized or not. Just, just to live to, to see that before you, I think, is uh, exactly the, uh, uh, the, the, the life that, that he led. And that uh, when I say live to see it, I, I would encourage uh, uh, everybody to lead, uh, to, to find your, your vision of what the world should be in and walk towards that, and I, I, it seems to Live me that's forward. what, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, that's what he was encouraging us all to do. So yeah. that that raises the question. I I wonder if you could uh, if take the you know proverbial time machine, go back and say, Dr. King, uh, here you go. I'm going to take you 45 years into the future. Here's the Democratic National Convention taking place in uh, my hometown, Denver, Colorado, and look, here is an African American man accepting the nomination of the Democratic Party for the office of president. Would he say, ah, the dream has been realized. The dream I was looking for has been realized. Uh, it's, a, it's a milestone uh, along the road. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, it's, you know, there, again, um, this, this country has gone, has, the civil rights movement has been, uh, has been successful in so many ways. Um, you know, uh, uh, open racists are beginning to be a little hard to find. You know, I mean, you can find a few. Which old is a good thing. Which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, because it's just not a good. I mean, it's just not a good way to live. You know, that's uh, uh, to have that kind of hatred in your heart. It's just a. It's just a hard. It's just a bad way to live. And so, um, I, I think that there have been other uh, milestones along the way. But yeah, this is a, this is a pretty major one. And uh, you know. Whether or not you you know you you vote for him, and and I'm not going to, <laughs> but I mean, but I mean the, the point is that uh, it's 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 uh, he's uh, I guess it's it's a historic thing that that's happening, and I believe also a historic thing that uh, that there's going to be a woman running on the Republican ticket. So um, I, I think it's 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 a great day for our country, and 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 a major milestone I think uh, on on the way to the. Uh, to what uh, Martin Luther King uh, foresaw. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that um, it raises the question for, for us as uh, uh, people who like to uh, poke ahead and, and, and see where, uh, where things are going to take us next to, to wonder, well, what will the big diversity hurdle that, that we will have leaped over by 45 years from today be? And I see that in the chat room, they're they're jumping way ahead of us, talking about uh, augmented uh, humans. And uh, this this is, I, I think, uh, perhaps one one direction that that that, that it could go. Um, there there are a number of possible futures for uh, who gets viewed as, uh, as as PJ Manny spoke about uh, w- once on the program. We were doing a a panel with uh, with with transhumanists about this notion of the other. Yeah. And as we grow more inclusive, uh, at, at one time um, uh, a black man was the other to the extent that there was no way you would see uh, someone like Barack Obama being the, um, the, the the candidate for a major national party, or you know a woman was even other to the extent that uh, that, that you wouldn't expect to realistically see a, a woman become vice president of the United States. Apparently, we've stepped past that. So who is the other? That, that we will start uh, to have to begin trying to draw into ourselves over, over the next 45 years. And I think 
um, you know, there there are still lots of potential hurdles that uh, uh, that that can be. Uh, leaped over just within the demographics that we currently have. You can say, well, when will we have our first, you know, gay presidential candidate, or when when will we have, um, you know, uh, actually, I was thinking about this earlier, and um, I believe when Joe Lieberman ran in 2000, that was the first time that a Jew had ever uh, uh, run for uh, course, vice president. John F. Kennedy was the uh, first Catholic. First Catholic. There you go. So I mean, yeah. some of these we've we've left, left over. John was and, only the second uh, Catholic to run. And, and the first to actually achieve the office, yeah. yeah. And there was some controversy over that at the time, but it didn't stop him from being elected. Right. Um, and there was no controversy that I can recall over uh, Lieberman, um, but uh, that didn't stop him from being on the ticket that won the popular vote. As uh, Mitt Romney uh, felt the need to uh, to basically do a speech very similar to JFK's about his religion. Uh, of course, Mitt, of course, Mitt Romney is a, is a Mormon. And, uh, exactly. He he did a, a speech very very similar to John Kennedy's speech, where he basically said, you know, this is how I believe, but how I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to govern as a Catholic. I'm going to govern as John Kennedy, and Mitt Romney was saying basically the same thing. You know, I'm, they're not they're not going to call the shots from Utah. Uh, you know, when I'm president, it's I'm, I'm Mitt Romney will be the president, and that, and I will not govern as a Mormon. You know, so right. Um, that's and, and I, you know I, it's it's interesting that he felt the need to do that. Um, so yeah, there's there's like you say there's still hurdles to cross. But uh, and it uh, just struck me that uh, we may have actually seen the first uh, cyborg president without realizing it. Uh, how's that? <laughs> Explain. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, depending on the breadth of your definition of uh, human augmentation. Uh, since he was unable to stand for uh, any extended period of time on his own uh, due to polio. Uh, he did have leg braces and was uh, uh, helped into place by them a, at a number of uh, times on on camera and on screen uh, without the public no, knowing any different. Yeah. No, the public was not aware, apparently, that he was uh, in the wheelchair, was he? Um, and, and even if you don't, uh, even if you don't make the cyborg leap, which uh, which uh, Stephen you had pointed out earlier, would also apply to our current vice president Dick Cheney, uh, right, pacemaker right. is is, is yeah, a cyborg got, as well. Uh, was was it defibrillator uh, pacemaker defibrillator combination? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's wired. Um, I was going to say for FDR, um, uh, the other hurdle that was crossed there, although it had to be crossed. Secretly, it had to be crossed without people knowing it. Was that we had a disabled person who was president of the United States, served as president for longer than anyone else has ever served as president of the United States from a wheelchair, which is uh, which is really a wonderful thing that um, uh, that that well, you know, uh, he, he was able to do it. The, I wonder in this day and age uh, uh, whether you know certainly it couldn't be a secret anymore. Um, if if someone were if if we you know if John McCain were in a wheelchair, uh, for example. You know, there's no keeping that a secret in this day and age. So, That's would, right. Amer- would America openly elect a disabled person? I don't know. I I, I'm not right sure either. I, person, perhaps. And and again, then that would be one of the hurdles that we'll probably leap over in the next 45 years, or right. that will no longer be an issue. And I think once you start looking at issues around genetically modified people or people who are cyborgs in the sense that they've got uh, the kind of brain implants or uh, augmentation that we were talking about on the program last week, 
um, or when you have a situation where artificial intelligence is making the case for its own humanity. Right. When, when, when those things actually become issues, probably a lot of the rest of this stuff just won't matter anymore. Right? You, you would say, well, I, I, you know, disabled, Muslim, gay, transgendered, um, you know, there's going to be uh, basically if you're a mosh, and that is the mostly original substrate human, um, we're all, you know, we're all part of the same group because there's now this new other, which is an augmented human or a human who uh, uh, is, you know, in, in some fundamental right, sense a person different that's from built from scratch, you know. Uh, not part of the genetic gene pool at all. Exactly. Yeah. Completely. So, out. yeah. So uh, all of those, uh, all all of those could be uh, uh, could could be potential issues around uh, diversity for the future. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded, of course, of your declaration of singularity that you ought to link to um, when we're doing the show notes here. Uh, that <laughs> basically talks about that. So. Yeah, in fact, well, we're on this journey as humanity from um, pre-humanity to our to our current state, and you know, we're, it's like we're kind of passing through uh, different stages of, of technological development and uh, and as society social development. Um, and I, I think that um, how we relate to each other is definitely going to be impacted by how. Um, we view each other, and by who makes up the whole uh, uh, the, the, the whole spectrum of of who we're interacting with as humans, or even if the word human doesn't apply anymore, as beings who are part of our uh, uh, you know part of our civilization. Um, to, to the extent that um, when when we can look at an artificial intelligence or we when we can talk to an augmented person someone who's uh who is you know in some sense fundamentally different from us and yet feel that we're in in a more important sense the same as those people i i think that um certainly diversity within the human species becomes a lot less important at that point uh, yeah. to, to the point that uh that, that it won't even matter anymore right if if you find a kindred spirit who happens to be an ai you know, yeah, that's uh, a lot of the other uh, things that have kept us separate uh, from one another uh, might seem silly after that. So, uh, yeah, I see that. As uh, Harvey says, uh, people are people. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, 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 that's the idea. You go, what, what's the <laughs> well, wherever you go, there you are. That's the old yeah, buckaroo right. bonsai. And I, I think that's exactly right. People are people. Um, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to extend our definition of people, just as we always have. Just as, uh, you know, the ancient Greeks had this idea of barbarians, who were, they didn't even consider them to be human. Um, and, and barbarian just meant, you know, anybody who wasn't Greek. Um, we're we're going to extend our idea of, of, of who people are through accepting others. But I think we're just about... We're just about there on that one. I think it's it's going to be uh, these these new folks who show up. Now, the the other question, the related question, is what happens when there is a palpable difference in capability uh, between ourselves and some of these later emerging intelligences? And we've we've talked uh, about the movie Gattaca before, where you have a society in which the uh, um, Augmented, improved humans, the genetically perfect humans, uh, run the show, and 
people like us, the mostly original substrate humans, the people who are just plain humans, are kind of the persecuted uh, minority. Well, I, I'm hopeful that uh, – it, it, obviously I'm hopeful that it doesn't develop quite like that and that people that, um, you know, are able to upgrade, at, you know, no matter how they're born, uh, they're able to upgrade later. Um, the movie Gattaca, uh, you know, imagines a future where um, you can genetically engineer people um, – and and then you know uh, and give birth to somebody who's who's genetically engineered. But if you're if you're born, you know uh, you know like a normal human, uh, then you know you're you're basically you know you're out of luck. And I, I'm hopeful that that won't be the case. That there'll there'll be ways of uh, you know <laughs> joining the mainstream at that point, uh, regardless of how you got here. Yeah, I think I think so too. I, I think that there will be options for us. Um, and uh, I think the same is true if you're talking about artificial intelligence and you're talking about a post-singularity world. I mean, one of, one of the uh, w- one of the images that that people often throw out there is that uh, you know the singularity occurs, then you've got these artificial intelligences, and you know I for one welcome our new robotic overlords kind of uh, uh, picture of how the world might be working. With basically uh, they're a million times faster than us and they're running the show. Uh, what I talk about in the Declaration of Singularity, and what I hope um, will occur, and what we're, you know, we should be working towards occurring, is that is that when those artificial intelligences show up and make that leap, that we're welcome to come along, that uh, that that they are us, that they consider themselves part of our civilization, part of our species, and that uh, that uh, where they go, we're we're welcome to come too, rather than. Um, uh, rather than rather than just leaving us behind or, or ruling over us, however, and uh, in, in, in however a friendly manner or however an intimidating manner, uh, people might people might picture that. So that's certainly uh, that's certainly what I'm hoping for that uh, that they don't stay the other forever. And in fact, if we if we start thinking of them as not other now, I think we've got a much better chance of. Uh, uh, and that, that applies both to augmented humans and to artificial intelligence. I think if we start thinking of them as something other than other which would be, you know, the other of my other is me, right? If we start thinking of them as us, um, th- th- they will be us. Yeah. We can avoid the possibility of uh, Austrian bodybuilders, you know, uh, <laughs> cyborg Austrian bodybuilders taking over the world. <laughs> we don't need that. I'll be sure. back. <laughs> All right. Well, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about the future of diversity, and we're going to talk a little bit of uh, energy policy. Now, if you'd like to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972 or join us on our online chat. And, uh, yeah, this is what I wanted to get into because, you know, we spoke uh, a while back about with the uh, with the presidential race shaping up. We had listened to uh, right around the anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's historic flight. Right. Uh, we, we had we had talked about the speech that John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, gave before a joint session of conference uh, uh, Congress in which he proposed the uh, moon flight, and we had a uh, a snatch from a speech he gave a while later at Rice University, which kind of encapsulates his idea around uh, around wh- where we needed to go. So let's uh, let's listen to President Kennedy on going to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We 
We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. All right, so that was President Kennedy speaking at Rice University, 1961, I believe, talking about uh, the imperative of going to the moon. We choose to go to the moon, outlining his vision for uh, why it was good for us as a country to do that, the best in our skills that would challenge us. And uh, we said we'd like to hear something like that from somebody running for president. And, and you had asked me, Phil, you know, what what big goal would be appropriate, and I had said energy. You know, I, I would like to, you know, we choose to be energy independent. Um, and that, and, and, and then, lo and behold, we, we heard that, didn't we? Well, here we go. This is from Thursday night. This is Barack Obama speaking to the Democratic National Convention. And for the sake of our economy, our security, and the future of our planet, I will set a clear goal as president. In 10 years, we will finally end our dependence on oil from the Middle East. Now is the time to end this addiction and to understand that drilling is a stopgap measure, not a long-term solution, not even close. As President, as President, I will tap our natural gas reserves, invest in clean coal technology, and find ways to safely harness nuclear power. I'll help our auto companies retool so that the fuel-efficient cars of the future are built right here in America. I'll make it easier for the American people to afford these new cars. And I'll invest $150 billion over the next decade in affordable, renewable sources of energy, wind power and solar power, and the next generation of biofuels, an investment that will lead to new industries and 5 million new jobs that pay well and can't be outsourced. Sorry, that played a little louder than I was hoping that it would. Uh, I had adjusted the volume on that before the program, and somehow it went back up to the higher level of volume, but still. Um, so here's, here's Barack Obama, Senator Obama, uh, outlining his vision for, uh, to answer, uh, Michael, your question, 10 years to oil independence. Well, that's how I read it. That's how I heard it. Um, and that's how I blogged about it in Better All the Time, uh, only to have a commenter point out that he did not say uh, we would be uh, completely uh, independent from <laughs> imported oil, what he said was oil from the Middle East, uh, which actually only makes up about uh, 16% of our uh, oil imports. So so what I took to be an extremely broad and expansive goal, uh, 10 years to get us completely off foreign oil, is not quite as expansive as, as I thought. It, it's 10 years to get us off. Uh, in fact, I had a commenter on the blog uh, uh, give me a little more information on this. Basically, he wants to get us off uh, Middle Eastern and Venezuelan fossil fuel uh, within 10 years. Still worthy goals. They, they get us uh, th so that we're not buying um, oil and natural gas from people who don't have our best interests at heart, which I think is uh, is, is, is what we, most people would agree about uh, 
uh, about uh, the governments in the Middle East and certainly in Venezuela. Um, but it's not the big, big, big choose to go to the moon uh, vision that I that I thought he was outlining at first. What do you think, Stephen? What do you think of that as a goal, uh, getting us off uh, Middle well, it's Eastern? An goal. It's an excellent yeah. goal. And um, this this election is uh, has been. I mean, both of the candidates, uh, John McCain and Barack Obama, have both spent a lot of time talking about energy. I, I, I think I think the political class is beginning to get it that how important energy is to this country. It's it is it is the lifeblood of our of our economy, and uh, you know, without it, um, without energy, um, we're you know we we grind to a halt, and uh, many of the freedoms that we hold dear would would go with it, you know. We have to have the energy, and uh, you know, I, and I, I think that I suspect that when John McCain gives his speech, he'll spend some time outlining an energy program as well. Well, I think he will too, um, and yeah. let's motivate him for that a little bit because uh, I wanted to wanted to mention what we're doing. This, I, let me just step back a moment and say that um, we did have a winner of our uh, coveted, highly coveted fast forward radio coffee mug last week. And that winner is Leslie Kirshner, whom I've been trying to reach to let her know that she's won and uh, to, to get that mug to her. I haven't been able to reach her yet. Leslie, if you're listening, uh, use the email address on uh, the, the home page of uh, the Speculist blog, blog.speculist.com. Uh, drop us a line, and we'll get, that, uh, we'll get that mug to you. Brian Wang also received one, and, and that has been sent. So, uh, speaking, of, speaking of mugs, now, of course, as you know, we at Fast Forward Radio and the Speculist uh, do not do politics, so we will not be endorsing either candidate for president. However, what, uh, what we have decided to do is the presidential candidate, the, the campaign that outlines the, uh, the program with the highest Speculist appeal, we're going to send them a Fast Forward Radio coffee mug. And so John McCain, the gauntlet has been thrown down. Barack Obama That's right. says we're you know we're going to get off uh, um, Middle Eastern oil and we're going to develop nuclear and we're going you know and what else did he say, Phil? Uh, he said plug-in hybrids. I I'm sure your ears per- perked up with that one. He's got oh, yeah. a million yeah, plug-in hybrids on the road. That's a big um, one for me. Yeah. Uh, or actually, I don't know if he said that, but that's in the notes that I received from the uh, o- Obama volunteer who, who, who left comments. He, he, wants, he wants to get us on plug-in hybrids. He did mention nuclear, which I think is a new thing coming from yeah. the Democratic side of the uh, side. Which of the I think is remarkable. I think that's a remarkable change. I, I, the, de- uh, Democrats have long, uh, uh, you know, had, had in their under their tent uh, the Greens. Okay, uh, uh, people that are concerned about the environment and that, who have long been very much against nuclear power. I think uh, in, uh, these uh, environmental uh, people are beginning to understand that nuclear can be clean and safe and uh, more environmentally sound than perhaps any other energy we can we can produce. Well, absolutely. I, I think that I think that message is is getting out there, and I think when you look at the balance, uh, you look at the balance between. Uh, uh, risks which appear, appear to have been mitigated considerably for nuclear power, right. and the risk of uh, going forward into the future and not producing our own power, um, and and having others dictate our future for us based on the fact that we're sending them all our money for for, for our energy, um, you know the equation really starts to look different, and and I think that's what uh, that's what Senator Obama's uh, position on this uh, recognizes that. So so I think that's great, and he is. He is in the lead. 
okay, for the, for the mug. Right now he's come out to an early lead, uh, but the Republican uh, convention is coming up, and, of course, we've still got the debates. And I, I don't think we'll actually announce a winner of the coffee mug until probably uh, uh, right before the election. So we'll give them both plenty of time. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if, if you're listening, uh, Senator McCain, uh, ball's in your court. What do you got? Um, right, right now the mug's going the other way. So uh, hopefully he's going to come back with, with something even more uh, we choose to go to the moon than the – Speculatastic. <laughs> yes. Very good. Yes. That's the word we want. Yes. We're... Oh wait, I know the word. It's speculicious. That's the word. that's right. We we want more good speculicious programs. And the idea is, uh, of course, that we would encourage um, both parties. We would encourage uh, uh, supporters of of Senator McCain and supporters of Senator Obama to think about um, how technology, how uh, a positive view of the future, how uh, you know, working towards positive ends uh, can, can give us new possibilities for, for solving uh, our problems. And my great hope is that, is, is that if more of these ideas get into the discourse on both sides, uh, then that increases the chance that uh, whoever gets elected, we're going to see some of these kinds of policies get implemented. I, I guess I should point out uh, for McCain uh, that Obviously, he has talked with and or read the book of uh, Robert Zubrin and his flex fuel ideas. Yes, um, who was a guest on this program uh, back in December of last year. I should point that's out. right, and because right after he was a guest on our program, uh, there was a uh, Republican debate uh, that included McCain and the other Republican candidates, where McCain basically outlined Zubrin's plan almost, you know, right down the line. So uh, McCain is aware of that and uh, would would like to implement flex fuel. It so. was very exci- it was very exciting to hear him say that. Then now that he's officially or almost officially the Republican candidate, we need you know we need to hear him get back on the board with that uh, uh, now 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 that now that he's actually uh, the guy who's who's yeah. carrying the the Republican banner. And I, I hope yeah. to hear that. I'll tell you what, if he comes out with the flex fuel thing, he's you know he he might be nudging that cup away. But then of course. Uh, Senator Obama will still have plenty of chances to uh, uh, to, to, to come back with, um, you know. I mean, th- these can be other ideas too. It's not just energy, right? Uh, right. You know, if, uh, if if one of them comes out with a with a really strong policy towards developing friendly AI or uh, building a space elevator, I'll tell you what. If either one of them says space elevator, I think they've just about <laughs> they, they win automatically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, <laughs> I think that, you know, and and the thing is, uh, you don't have to win the election to win our coffee mug. That's uh, right. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, 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 give, you come up with the most speculative program, and you win the coffee mug, irrespective of uh, uh, the electoral or popular vote. Either way, we're, we're, we're rewarding ideas here, not, uh, uh, not electoral success, because that, ha- you know, that kind of has its own reward, right? I mean, uh, you know, so there's, there's two big prizes you're going for right now, um, <laughs> President of the United States and the speculous coffee mug. Okay, so I'm not saying which is bigger, which is more important. I think we both know, but um, <laughs> but I'm just saying that there, coffee there, tastes awfully good out of that mug. So <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as Harvey will tell you, um, uh, it, it just makes all the difference. I think, and I still don't have one, Stephen. I don't know if you've gotten yourself one yet, but uh, I think that uh, it 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 the order it, has it been is placed. just 
Oh, oh, has it? Oh, good man. All right. So, so you know, you'll you'll be able to speak knowledgeably about uh, what a difference it's made in your life to actually have a, a fast forward radio coffee mug. Well, I'm going to say that this is fast forward radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and we're going to go an extra 15 minutes this evening just because we had one more segment that we wanted to get to, and uh, we're having so much fun that. Uh, how could we how could we stop now? So if you'd like to join us as we talk about various topics in the future, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. Now, our next topic um beyond uh all this politics and diversity and stuff, let's let's do something a little Labor Day. Um and I thought we could do the future barbecue, which would be a good Labor Day topic, but uh what what do we talk and <laughs> hey, the thing about barbecue is it's perfected now. You know, the future of barbecue. I, my, my hope for barbecue is it'll be the same in 20 years as it is today. Because it's pretty. Uh, yeah, and we Exa- should do exactly that right, right there yeah. before we get into the the partisan uh, element of that discussion. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay, well we're not going to endorse either. Possible. No, yeah. we're not going to endorse either charcoal or gas. Okay, if that's what you're talking about, uh, Michael. <laughs> Although I do not have a gas grill and will not allow one in my home. Okay, but uh, but we're not we're not going to get into the that that is a, that is a big uh, yeah Apple a big wood. partisan debate. Apple wood is the way to go. Oh, there you go. Okay, it's so fruit wood. I think we're on the same page. Michael, are you a gas guy, gas grill guy? Charcoal all the way. All right, so good. Now, okay, we can actually go partisan on this one. All right, so we won't go partisan on presidential politics, but uh, the future of barbecue is they're going to ban gas grills, I think. We need that natural gas to make into uh, methanol to run in our flex fuel vehicles, and uh, people should be using uh, charcoal, wood. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, apple wood is good. Uh, depending on the meat, uh, you might also try hickory. You might, I mean, there are a number of different woods for different flavors, but uh, I, I think we're, we're all in agreement that gas is for weenies. For that, that. What's the name of that uh, character in that show, uh, Propane? Uh, oh, come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> taste the meat, not the heat. Uh, there you, well, <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, we certainly don't want to take money out of the pocket of all the hangles in the world. So um, <laughs> we can support diversity and everything else. I think we're not going to make the other out of people with gas grills. Um, so I retract what I said, and there's, you know, uh, there's room for radio is, taste, though. Yeah, it's a big tent radio, radio program, and there's there's room for all. Well, just like we're not endorsing any candidates, but as you pointed out, you're probably going to vote one way or the other. Um, I'm going to vote one way or the other. Michael Darling, if he were here, I, I think would you know would would tell you how he's going to vote. And uh, Michael Sargent, I believe you've probably already made up your mind how you're going to vote. I have. Yeah. So you know, it's not that we don't have opinions on these things; it's just that we don't make them part of the show. And so right. I now. I now retract what I said about gas grills, and I want to talk about not the future barbecue, in fact, but the future of labor, since it's Labor Day. Let's talk a little bit about the future of work, and where is work going? And I would start this off by saying, you know, there was a time, maybe at the turn of the previous century, around the the, the heyday of the Industrial Revolution, when people looked at automation and they said, you know what's going to happen is they're going to automate all the jobs out of existence. And we see something very similar happening uh, in our era with computer technology where um, jobs get, uh, through electronics, get automated out of existence. And there was this notion that labor would disappear completely, machines would do all the work, and uh, people would all live a life of leisure. Uh, That idea certainly was not realized, that scenario was not realized in the 20th century. And my question is, is that a more realistic 
scenario for the 21st century, or is it completely unrealistic to talk uh, in terms of labor going away because of automation or for, for any other reason? Well, I, one of the things about labor is that it's, it's, uh, it's one of the ways that we value we come to value ourselves as people is that we participate in the world and we do creative things and we do productive things and um you know to the you know drudge work the type of the type of work that people that nobody wants to do and everyone hates you know maybe that can be automated out of existence but um creative work and work that we that people actually enjoy doing um why would we want to automate that out of existence you know, I would say well, that – I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say that I, I see that, uh, that Michael has written, if your job can be reduced to an algorithm, it will be done by a computer. So that's, that's, the, uh, uh, that's the argument. Uh, currently, to date, most of the jobs that have been replaced by machines have been what you're talking about, drudge, drudge work. And uh, I, I see that Harvey in the chat room is talking about, uh, you know, miners, right? And we think about, ah, we'll just we'll send robots down to do all the mining, and then we don't have people caught in the mines or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, the self-serve gas pump is actually a piece of automation that replaced a, a job, right? Right. Uh, not that great of a job, a job that people didn't really aspire to by and large. Um, and so it was it was replaced by automation. But as algorithms get more sophisticated, we now have algorithms doing um, financial trading, very sophisticated financial analysis and trading, uh, much faster and to a much more sophisticated degree than human traders were able to do it. Uh, and that is something that we would have thought of as a human job uh, even maybe 10, 15 years ago. And now it's being taken over by, as Michael points out, algorithms. Well, what does that say about other jobs? I mean, Stephen, you're a lawyer. Um, how far are we from algorithms that uh, that can practice law? And if computers can practice law, will that uh, will that eliminate the job of lawyer as we know it? What do you think? Well, you know, there there are um, like services where people get online and you know can download wills that you know uh, by and large are pretty good wills. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know. Another term for an attorney is counselor, and okay. I, I think that uh, you know when people have a problem, uh, they tend to want to go and sit face to face with someone and uh, that is knowledgeable in how to handle that problem and and talk it out. I I don't see that going away anytime soon, and there's not a real easy algorithm I don't think that could be written for that, and so. You know, certainly one-on-one contact like that with with an individual that's going to be with us a little while longer, I would think. So, uh, I think that attorneys are one of those jobs that will be around a little while. Okay, all right, Michael, you're saying? Had you uh, heard about the uh, controversy in Australia recently over a uh, a legal expert system that uh, is? claims to be capable of rendering legal opinions based on the logic of the uh, evidence presented. I had not, ah. Michael. Uh, you got a you got a link for that? We need to get that in the show notes. I'm going to have to reach out for that one and see if I can find it, but uh, it's uh, about six or eight months old. And uh, Well, now, surely as a lawyer, Stephen, you would agree that they'll automate judges long before they'll automate lawyers, or maybe you can't agree to that. Uh, no, I can't agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Your Honor, if you're listening, um, you will never <laughs> yeah, be replaced. That was Phil who you. said that, and I was just kidding. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but that but but am I right in thinking, uh, Michael, that what they're talking about is automating a judge, not a lawyer? Is that is that correct? Um, my impression was that it was a, a supplemental process, uh, something that a law office would use to build a case, or uh, might someone might use to consult in the early stages of developing a case on their own, and then bring that particular knowledge to uh, their barrister of choice. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. But still, yeah, you I would definitely want to read that, Michael. So, yeah, yeah that's, you can that's find that. But you still wouldn't get what what uh, Stephen's talking about, which is the face to face, the actual, uh, the the feeling that you're, you know, being heard and being understood and being sympathized with by by someone who uh, empathizes with you, right? Well, uh, th- that, that that whole experience might, is going to. Stephen might agree with me is the better part of the uh, business of law, as opposed to uh, the drudgery of research and the uh, tedium of uh, legal reasoning. Yeah, the, uh, perhaps the best part of uh, practicing law will remain, and uh, some of the tedious aspects can be automated. Yeah, I, absolutely. I can, see, so I can see that. Okay, so so that's Stephen's job. Looks like secure for now. Not going to be automated out of existence. Well, let's go to mine. I'm in marketing, and here's the great thing is that they could probably have computers doing marketing now. But it's completely subjective, uh, by and large, whether uh, a particular marketing campaign is any good, and only marketing people can really say whether it's any good or not. So uh, we'll just keep saying the computers aren't doing a very good job, uh, you know, as long as we have the power to do that. Then, so the, the, they're not going to be kicking us out anytime. Well, y'all don't have objective metrics. I mean, you look and say, okay, before the advertising campaign, we were only selling X number of widgets, and now we're selling more or 2X. Well, uh, of course, you, you do have those. Um, and... Uh, Wow, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get myself in as much trouble as I got you probably over the judge thing. Uh, <laughs> let's just say that that stuff, you know, by some less scrupulous marketing people, not myself or any of the people I work with, can be finessed to a certain extent. Yeah. Meantime, um, Harvey that. is asking, asking for uh, something a slightly easier. Uh, he'd like uh, a fuel pump bot that will take the cap off and uh, do the pumping for him. And I think uh, uh, British Petroleum or Shell uh, debuted one of those in Europe last year. And then uh, also uh, farm equipment, uh, automated farm equipment. Yeah. Automated, uh, oh, fully automated farm equipment, right? Because, I mean, to a certain extent. The field would know a farmer in the tractor, huh? Well, and it's getting to that point now. uh, With GPS in the tractor, uh, you are supervising the uh, machinery, but generally not in control most of the time. There you go. Well, one of the things that's interesting about uh, automation is that uh, a lot of times when when jobs are automated, um, they haven't actually saved the the average person that that much labor. Um, When you you think about um, automation like the vacuum cleaner, the washer-dryer, the dishwasher, um, you, you think about the the gas pump or the self checkout stand at the at the supermarket. You know the, these were all things that uh, that supposedly make the environment much more productive. But what happened is uh, we went from a, a model where people had someone come into their home and sweep and do the dishes for them and you know all that kind of stuff to one where people did that for themselves because they had all these machines that would allow them to do it. Right? You went from a model where you sat in your car and said fill her up to one where you had to get out of your car, grab the pump 
optimistic, and uh, I, I think that um, uh, you know a big part of the labor gets uh, automated, and then a smaller part gets pushed back off onto us. And so one of the reasons that uh, uh, that labor probably won't disappear altogether is because as things get automated, we, we take on a certain share of uh, of what's been automated. Another example for, for people who work in offices, there was a time when uh, virtually anyone who worked in an office setting had some kind of uh, administrative assistant or secretary or uh, some kind of assistant who typed things up for you, uh, made copies for you, all that kind of stuff. Anymore, every, almost everyone except for the highest level executives does that kind of stuff for themselves. Right. I mean, well, we're all we're all on email now, so you know you don't you don't have this business of dictating no correspondence anymore. Yeah, there's no typing pool. We're all our own typing pool. We're all on keyboards all the time. We're writing our own stuff. Um, so everyone became their own secretary. Uh, you know, everyone has become their own to, to a certain extent housekeeper. Um, everyone is their own gas pumper. So uh, th- there's this interesting um, kind of relationship between labor disappearing as jobs but sticking around is something that we have to uh that we have to do for ourselves and i think that probably won't go away at all well and to add except for I, I hope harvey gets his uh you know i don't have to get out of the car gas pump because that would be pretty handy and to add on to that uh how about the uh, recent renaissance in the do-it-yourself spirit uh the makers and the the uh gadget gadgeteers who make a <laughs> hobby of things that once were uh uh, full-time jobs. Well, well, give, give us an example of that. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, the website uh, make.com is uh, centered around uh, the types of people who will build uh, from scratch uh, their own computers, their own uh, pipe organs, uh, motorcycles, bicycles, uh, all of this kind of uh, fabrication and actual hands-on bending uh, has become something of a, a renewed study in American culture. That would be a cool thing to do. Just you know, so you could say you did it. This you know, this mountain bike that I'm riding, I I, I built it from scratch. Built it myself. Bent, there you go. Yeah, I built. I yeah. even bent the tubes and did the. Yeah, cool. But of course, yeah. at that point, what we're talking about is we're talking about labor uh, being transformed to recreation. Right. These people aren't doing this uh, as their livelihood. They don't need to do this. They're doing it because they think it's fun. Is that? Uh, am I capturing the spirit of that correctly, Michael? Essentially, it's it's done primarily for fun. Sometimes uh, for economy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You do it because you can get a better deal on it. Okay, I can see that. So, but but between those two concerns, um, it's it's not that Actually, they're doing I would it think because that usually you'd spend more money. You'd, I'm sure you'd spend more money, say, building a bicycle from scratch than you would going down and picking up a Schwinn. Uh, unless you were building it from uh, discarded parts from uh, the junk dealer down the street. Yeah. Well, there you go. And, and I think um, that the the idea that uh, people adopt labor as recreation is one of the possible futures for labor. The other one is that... Uh, 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 enough of the drudgery gets automated to the point where we're all doing, Stephen, as you talked about, the fun and interesting parts of our job, at which point do we reach this very happy place where labor and leisure become indistinguishable. Right. For example, if uh, if my job were doing the speculist uh, and doing fast-forward radio, if I were actually earning my livelihood doing that, well, this is what I currently do for fun. I currently do this because I enjoy it. Um, if If I were to reach the point where 
where that activity was the one that I did uh, for my livelihood, would I be engaging in labor or would I be engaging in leisure? It wouldn't matter anymore, would it? Um, that's right. That that distinction wouldn't exist anymore. That's right. And if anyone wants to, you know, like General Motors or anybody wants to adopt this program, you know, we can be had for the right price. Absolutely. We're available. Uh, you know, give us a call. I give the number all the time. You can leave comments. Hey, we're, we're, ready, to, uh, we're ready to talk. We're ready to negotiate on <laughs> exactly that point. Exactly. Yeah, right, blending so, work and fun, that's a, huge, that's a huge part of where we're going with work. I, I'd say the other thing is that um, I, I see a, a time in the near future where jobs are farmed out to such an extent that we might be working for one firm for one little project, you know, for a, a few hours in the morning. And, and for some other company we've never worked for before and never even heard of before in the afternoon doing some other project. I yeah. think a lot of people work that way now. I think yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of that going on now. Uh, and you're you're right. We might reach the point where virtually that's the model everyone follows. Yeah. That no, that's, that's certainly what uh, uh, you know. As, as you see, the uh, increased connectedness between people that that uh, the internet allows, and the reduction in transaction costs, and going out and finding exactly the right person to do exactly the task you're looking for. That that's kind of the model that 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 we would move towards. That's right. That's that would be the ultimate result of telecommuting. So, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. And what a difference between that and the old model of you know you find yourself a good job at a good company and you work there for whatever forty forty five years till you get, get the gold, gold watch, watch and, and retire. Yeah. 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 Almost the complete opposite of that. Well, I think we've shot just a little bit past our time, so I'm going to wrap us up on the subject of labor versus leisure. Michael, unless there were any other thoughts from the chat room that anyone wanted to share? Uh, Harvey says uh, recreational labor sounds a lot more interesting than a treadmill, and I have to agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what the future unfolds for us on uh, on this uh, road from labor to leisure. So everyone uh, think about that a little bit as you take tomorrow off. Um, you know, what are you doing for fun and what component of that might job. be part of your job? Yeah. <laughs> somewhere down the road. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about uh, music now, Stephen. What are we going to be listening to this evening? Uh, the band is Black Lab and the song is See the Sun. See the Sun by Black Lab. And we will listen to that. I will uh, do my best. I'm, I'm no Stephen Gordon, but I'm going to do my best to get some show notes up here uh, before long. So hopefully within the next day or so, we'll see show notes for, for this program. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much. Uh, Michael, thanks to you and to all our friends in the chat room and to everyone listening. Thank you for being a part of Fast Forward Radio. We look forward to being with you again very soon. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> 